In Jonah chapter 3, Jonah hears a second call from the Lord and goes to Nineveh and proclaims a message of repentance. And the Ninevites do repent and they receive God's mercy. Our text today is chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And we discover that Jonah is not excited about the change of heart in the Ninevites. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Let us pray. O Lord, in Jonah's resistance to you, and in his desire for you not to share your grace with others, may we learn, may we grow, may we repent, and may we come to embrace the love that you have for all people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever been in the movie theater? You're enjoying a great movie, and it's nearing the end of the movie, and there's this wonderful scene that captures the whole story and wraps it all up, and you know that just around the corner are the words, the end, and the movie credits, and... Then all of a sudden you have another 10 or 15 minutes of the movie to go. The movie maker missed the chance to end the movie at just the right spot. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been reading a book and it's a great book and you're immersed in the story and you're nearing the end and there's a sentence or a paragraph or an anecdote that captures the story, wraps it all up and you know that the book has concluded and then you turn the page and you discover that there are still several chapters to go. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been listening to a sermon? And it's a good sermon. (laughs) And the preacher gets to a point that seems to have wrapped up the entire sermon, tied it up like a bow, and you know it's time to go home. And the preacher then, some of you are shaking your heads. And the preacher continues to preach another 5, 10, 15 minutes. Have you ever been reading the story of Jonah and you get to the end of chapter 3 and you think, wow, this is where the story should end. This is the moment. And then you keep reading and you discover that there is a chapter 4. A chapter 4 that we must engage. Let's review the entire story to this point. God calls Jonah to travel to Nineveh to preach a word of repentance to the Ninevites. Jonah does not want to go. And so Jonah goes in the opposite direction. He pays the fare to Tarshish. He's on the sea. The Lord hurls a mighty wind and a great storm develops. And The ship is tossed to and fro and the sailors are panicked. Jonah's asleep 
uh, in the hold of the ship. So they throw the cargo overboard. Everyone is praying to their God. And finally, Jonah confesses that he is the reason for the storm. And he volunteers. He calls upon his uh, shipmates to throw him overboard. Eventually they do. The storm calms down. The ship is safe. And God sends a big fish to swallow Jonah. And in the fish... Jonah partially comes to his senses and he prays for the first time in the book. And then the fish spits, spews Jonah out on dry land and Jonah hears a second call from the Lord and he obeys partially to this point and goes to Nineveh and he preaches a word of repentance. Here's what he says in chapter 3 verse 4. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. And amazingly, verse 6 says, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, verse 6 of chapter 3, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And then he read out a proclamation for all of the citizens of the kingdom to do the same. And in verse 9, the king says, Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And this is the place where we would expect Jonah to join in celebrating with the Ninevites, praising and worshiping God, have a a potluck supper, whatever they did in Nineveh, just enjoy it. This is the place where we might expect Jonah to spend a few weeks or months uh, teaching the Ninevites about their newfound faith, and then riding off into the sunset, mission accomplished, my work is done here, I'll stay in touch, my fellow Ninevites, your lifelong friend, Jonah. And it's not what happens. And as we read into chapter 4, we discover why Jonah has been running all along. He doesn't like the Ninevites. He despises them. And he wants God to rain down fire upon them. He doesn't want to preach repentance to the Ninevites because he knows that if he does, and they do repent, that God will have mercy on them because God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, gracious beyond anything that we can imagine And Jonah does not want that grace of God to reach down to a people that he despises. And so he runs. And even when he's in the belly of the fish and he comes to at least acknowledge God through prayer, he doesn't confess his sins. And when he preaches to the Ninevites, he gives a bare-bones message. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But Jonah shares nothing of the mercy and graciousness of God with the Ninevites. Jonah does not say to the Ninevites that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There is nothing of God's forgiveness that Jonah preaches to the Ninevites. 
Jonah does not say to them, God loves you. And if you will repent, if you'll turn from your ways, God will receive you and forgive you and restore you and give you a new life far beyond what you could ever imagine Jonah shares none of the grace of God. It's judgment without mercy. It's judgment without grace. It's judgment without steadfast love. And so when it comes to chapter 4, we are not surprised then that Jonah is angry. And Jonah does not want to participate in God's forgiveness and grace and redemption shared with the Ninevites. I believe that there is a little bit of Jonah in every single one of us. There's that part of Jonah that wants to run from the presence of God as we saw in chapter 1. There's that part of Jonah in us that will pray when we have to, as Jonah did in the belly of the fish, but not pray all that we need to pray. There's that part of us that will show partial obedience, as Jonah did in chapter 3, preaching the message of repentance. And there's that part of us that's like Jonah in chapter 4, not wishing that God would truly be merciful, upon the people that we would rather Him not show mercy. There's that part of us that would like to love just the people that we want to love, to choose the people that we want to love. Like Jonah, there's that part of us that would like to offer half-hearted obedience to give some of ourselves to the work of the Lord, to give some of our time, some of our abilities, some of our resources but not all that the Lord requires. There's that part of us that is comfortable confessing some of our sins, but not all of them. There's that part of us that is okay with changing some of our life, but not all of it. We are like Jonah in so many ways, choosing to attempt to fit Jesus into our lives instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to fit our lives into Jesus' life. Jonah is angry because God is good. Jonah is angry because God is gracious. And Jonah wants to keep God's goodness and graciousness to himself and share it only with the people that he wants to share it with. And there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Three observations from the text. First, God works through us in spite of us sometimes. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes God works through us in spite of us. God works through Jonah in spite of Jonah. Jonah is angry. He doesn't want to do what he's doing. And he he gives only the tiniest bit of obedience. Just the bare necessity of a message. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
no message of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. He, he just does the least that he can do and get away with it. And God still does a miracle. The people of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh, is, they're open to the message. They hear it and they respond in faith and they repent and it is wonderful. And Jonah's story at this point is good news for you and for me because so many times we have done the bare minimum of what we're supposed to do and we've probably been cranky and, and had a bad attitude about it and God in mercy still does great things. That's true for us as individuals. It's true for us as a church. That so often God works through us in spite of us. A second observation. When God does great things through us, it doesn't mean that we have done great things. It might. There are times when we've been faithful and through the Holy Spirit, to the best of our abilities, we have offered our best to God and to one another. And, and we've lived in that wonderful uh, partnership with the Holy Spirit and great things have happened. The great things that God does are far greater than the great things that we've done, but it's okay at times to recognize and give thanks that God has shaped us and worked through the Holy Spirit in such a way that we've been able to, to the best of our abilities, participate in the things that God is doing through us. There are times when that happens and there are also times when great things happen because God does them in spite of us, and when that happens, we must not pat ourselves on the back. But instead we say, oh Lord, wow. Even when I was at my worst, even when we were not at our best, you still did something wonderful, and we are humbled, and we are amazed, and we thank you that as messed up as we are, you still choose to do your work through us. As individuals, and I think probably on this one, especially as a church, we must remember and remind ourselves that even when God does do great things through us, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have been doing great things. It means that we follow and serve and are loved by a great God. First observation, sometimes God works through us in spite of a second observation. When God does great things through us, it's not automatically a sign that we've done great things. Third observation, we can, by the Holy Spirit, move to that place when we are joining with the Spirit in sharing the love and doing the work that God is doing through us. We can be those full participants even in the midst of our sinful selves, as a sinful church, we can grow to that place where we are walking in closer step with Jesus. And when we walk in closer step with Jesus by the power of the Spirit, it's not just that God is working in us and through us in spite of us. It is also the case, it can become the case, when God is, is or we are joining God in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. And it is a beautiful and wonderful sight when that happens, it's a powerful experience for us when we are walking in step with the Spirit and God is able to do wonderful things through us far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. 
when we are walking in step with the Spirit and we are doing our part, I believe it gives us greater confidence to trust that God can do the impossible. To trust that God could do things we would never think God would do. To trust, unlike Jonah, that God could bring the Ninevites to repentance. To trust that God could do the impossible in the life of someone that we love. To trust that God could do the impossible in the community of which we are a part. To trust that God could do the impossible in our nation and in our world. But when we have that kind of trust, when we believe not only that God can work in and through us in spite of us, but God can do even more when we're fully in step with the Spirit, then we're on our way to participating with the Lord in seeing great things happen. There's a man who was a neo-Nazi and a white supremacist, and he had a wonderful conversion experience. And he not only came out of that life and moved from a life of hate to a life of love, he has established with others an organization dedicated to helping people who were like him come out of that life and move from hate to love. Someone asked him how this conversion happened. What was it that changed the trajectory of his life that changed his story. And he shared a story of being at a McDonald's restaurant and giving the order for his breakfast and his coffee and an elderly African-American woman taking his order behind the counter and how she noticed the swastika tattooed on his hand. And she said to him, Oh, honey, Oh, honey, you are so much better than that. And this man shared that that moment was the seed that was planted that germinated and several years later bore the fruit of his repentance and his conversion and of his participation in the work of God. To do what we might think are impossible things. And so, sisters and brothers, the challenge this morning is to get in touch with our inner Jonah. To be aware of how many times we limit what we think God will do. To be aware of the ways in which we flee from the power of God to do wonderful things. And yes, especially to be aware of that part in each of us that doesn't want God to share this incredible grace that we've experienced with everyone. And thus, in getting in touch with our inner Jonah, we are then able to open ourselves to the Spirit of God who is able to work through us that which we would never consider possible. We can put ourselves in position to receive God's grace so that the Holy Spirit 
can do the impossible through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, Amen.